0: Hello, everyone, and thank you once again for joining us for what is going to be a fantastic show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I have authored a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes that are available at Amazon in paperback and ebooks, so please go out and buy some. And also, volumes one through eight are on Audible iTunes, and Amazon as well, in audible or audio format. So please go out, partake of a few of them, and you'll be doing a great deal to help us. And now, my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. K.J., how are you? What's going on, Bill? Well, as you know, my wife is in the hospital, and folks, keep praying for her. Her name is Paula. Paula. Uh, she's going down a rough road, but uh, this too shall pass. So that's been kind of uh, consuming a lot of my time, brother. <laughs> yeah, I know
1: that's that's a big challenge, and we're all praying for her. And I think she's yeah. going to be fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a big deal, uh, and of course we're in the uh, clutches of uh, January now. It's not too bad, but you know how January and February can be. We. We're going to go down to, like, uh, we're probably already at, like, 9 or 10 today. Really? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, thankfully, we have a, a big rain system coming in, but the projection is that we'll be getting rain. The temps are going to jump up to 38, 45, something like that. Uh, snow will be north of us, up in the hills, Adirondacks, that kind of place. Uh, but, uh. It's not my favorite time of year.
1: Yeah, I mean, the good news is the days are getting longer. I mean, down, yeah. here, in, down here in North Carolina, it's right around freezing today. And as I mentioned to you right before uh, this uh, recording, uh, we're bracing for, you know, what we lovingly call Snowmageddon in, <laughs> in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it's either going to be like four or five inches of snow or like one or two inches of ice. So yeah. we're cheering for the snow because when we get yeah. an inch of ice, boy, we lose electricity for a week. You know it's bad. Yeah.
0: And what did you? Didn't you tell me once, Kev? There's like one snow plow. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: that's really just on display at the traffic department. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. it has a motor in it. You know, it just sits oh, up front. <laughs> oh
0: brother! That is freaking. No, you're right though. And my favorite uh, day of this wintery season is like the winter solstice when i know we're gaining a minute of daylight every day from that point forward
1: absolutely and the days are getting longer i i look at it each day on my phone you know when sunset is and when sunrise is and it's we're headed the right direction bill so hang in there
0: yeah yeah that's a that's a good good thing you know uh I was talking to my buddy, a fan of the podcast. Uh, one, th- Another great thing about the podcast, Kev, is uh, some little friendships that have developed uh, out of talking to people, and I touch base with them here and there. And a uh, buddy, uh, uh, Jonathan, up in uh, uh, BC, uh, British Columbia area, uh, I was talking to him the other night, and... Uh, It was some ridiculous temperature. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: I was talking to some of the guys I work with up there yesterday. It was like minus 30 Celsius, which I guess when it gets to like minus 40 Celsius, it doesn't matter whether it's Celsius or Fahrenheit. Like, it converges (laughs) down there.
0: (laughs) So so that is
1: wicked cold. I mean.
0: Yeah. And he, he told me that they have heaters on their uh, vehicles. Oh yeah, you plug uh, them in. You have to. Yeah, just to to make sure the motor will turn over. Oh yeah. I mean, I've been uh, I've been
1: up there when it's minus 40. Um uh, in uh Alberta and I'm telling you, Bill, it is like that first breath you take, it's the coldest air you ever felt. Like it's just like, "Oh my god. Like what is yeah. this?"
0: Yeah, you know, the the heater Used to be used mainly on diesels. Yep. You know, the trucks always had heaters uh, when they were parked in lots or at depots. Uh, And if you had a diesel uh, car, a lot of them had a heater that you would plug into the garage or something.
1: Yeah, well, they all have the, you know, of course, they're burning kerosene, which is not as flammable as gasoline. And then they don't have spark plugs, right? They have glow plugs. So it's all kicked off by very high compression Kicks right. off the combustion. So if it's wicked cold, uh, it's not enough to kick off combustion. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let alone all of the oil getting hard at minus forty. You know, you probably couldn't turn the crank over anyway.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. And you remember that's what killed the Nazis outside of Stalingrad. And they are they in their I thought it was uh, the
1: U.S. Air Force. Oh no, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> But you remember they had decided their attack would be in the winter. Yeah. And all of their equipment was freezing up and coming to a screeching halt. In the well, yeah. And they cold. would blitz,
1: you know, like, of course, they had the blitz down with the equipment. But, you know, the soldiers were following them on foot, you know, yeah. freezing to death, riding horses and stuff where they could find a horse like ridiculous, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. But good for them. Ago.
1: Good for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, good for them and their failure. Couldn't have
1: happened to a nicer bunch of guys. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. All right, Bill.
1: Well, we're going back to one of my favorites of all time because I happen to come across some more information
0: about him. Ah, excellent. What are we uh, digging into today?
1: Yeah, so this is one of my favorites of all time for a couple of reasons. One is it's uh old from the 1800s it's well documented and uh uh 3 which i didn't say 2 but 2 was well documented <laughs> and 3 it involves this mysterious superhero like creature
0: uh-huh. <laughs> so and who <laughs> and who, who might that be so
1: we're going to talk about Spring-Heeled jack
0: <laughs> one more time i know it
1: Oh yeah, I and didn't know it. We covered him once a long time ago, but I, as I said, I came across some new information on him, so we'll do a little bit of a review. Okay. Uh, so we'll jump right in, and you know, this story of Springheel Jack uh, it comes, uh, you know, basically out of the UK, and it's the tale of uh, this creature or devil-like figure that terrorized the nation for more than sixty years. Okay. And the story would go, you know, back, and this is in the early 1800s, started out that this devil like figure would leap from rooftop to rooftop, from the street to the roof of a building, and vice versa. And everybody was talking about it, but it got a lot more uh, recognition, and in fact, received official recognition when someone was attacked. In January of 1838. Mm -hmm. So this woman, Polly Adams, was attacked while crossing the street in South London. And uh, a woman saw it. This other woman, Mary Stevens, uh, saw on the common there. And uh, the woman was assaulted. So pretty, pretty scary. So the picture of this. So
0: there there was a witness.
1: Oh, yeah. There was yeah. a witness. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And several several documented attacks. So the the one witness described her what she called an inhuman attacker that he was wearing a kind of helmet, a tight fitting white costume like an oil skin, and get this bill, he vomited blue and white flames.
0: What a freaking I mean that is, it's so out of the box, bizarre. Oh, I know. That's why it's one of my favorites. <laughs> and 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 in the early eighteen hundreds, particular uh, 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 visualize seeing this going on with the the garb worn of that day by men and women, and to have this guy with like a helmet and a a, a skin tight suit on, you know, yeah, like an
1: oil skin, but, and then if that's not freaky enough, he had like these red. uh, red glowing eyes, and kind oh, of uh, like metal claw hands, and then he could vomit these blue flames.
0: What a... I mean, you can't make it up any... It's, it's just like pick a bunch of weird stuff and throw it in a bag and pick out what your creature's going to be, you know? Yep, yep.
1: So oh, so the man. at that time, the mayor of London... Sir John Cowan. He received lots of complaints about this. Documented complaints around London describing a demonic creature with eyes like balls of fire and hands like icy claws that had the ability to jump from rooftop to rooftop. Hmm. And That's the police. Crazy. So, so these there were enough of these complaints coming in, you know, from an, from enough reputable people that the police didn't dismiss these stories. And even uh, uh, the gentlemanly Duke of Wellington, although he was almost 70 years old, he went out armed on horseback to hunt and kill the monster. So he was uh, carrying more gun than he thought he would need, (laughs) even in London.
0: (laughs) Well, when you're the Duke, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, you know,
1: especially (laughs) if you're hunting a
0: demonic creature.
1: (laughs) So, and oh, then, boy. you know, in going further in time, in the 1850s and 1860s, he was seen all over England, but in particular around the central part of England. So, huh. and then in that 1870, the army actually, right, the army of the UK set traps to catch spring And Jack. Uh, and, you, you know, they used to have these sentry boxes, right, Bill, like, kind of like around town. They still have them, in fact, of course, but the guys are carrying automatic weapons around London when they go into one of these boxes. But they'd have these sentry boxes, kind of like a a phone booth where they could seek some shelter, I guess, you know, during the night while they're on post. Uh And one of these sentry was in the sentry box, and uh, he reported being terrified by a man who sprang from a roof onto the top of the sentry box. So it sounds like Springheel Jack was having a little fun with the Army as well <laughs> yeah yeah he
0: didn't he was indiscriminate, he didn't care who you were, yeah, uh, he or it or whatever that Springheel was you know right right what a what a name i I wonder who actually gave him the name. It must have been like a a newspaper columnist that named it Springheel Jack. It does sound like you know? that, right, yeah.
1: So, and then in 1870, so this is towards the end of the reign of Springhill Jack. Some of uh, the townspeople in uh, a part of the UK called Lincoln, uh, there they it's documented that they shot at him in the street, but he basically just laughed and sprung away, leaping over fences and even a couple of small uh, homes. Wow. It seems to be either they're not good shots or he also uh,
0: (laughs) uh, isn't affected by uh, bullets. Yeah. And leaping over a couple of small homes like they were an easy hop. Exactly. Exactly.
1: (laughs) And Spring Hill Jack was last seen. So he had quite a rain in 1904 in one of your favorite cities, Bill. Liverpool. Oh, and when he was in Liverpool, he was bounding up and down the streets, leaping from the cobblestone streets to rooftops and back down to the cobblestone streets.
0: I mean, we're talking about something. It's almost like Spider-Man flight. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Very similar. That's why if you remember. Right. So I said at the time that there was a a rumor um, back then. That um, this marquis, right? You know, so uh, very, uh, very wealthy guy, the Marquis of Waterford, um, was viewed that somehow people were like the guy was kind of eccentric, and you know what eccentric meant back then, Bill?
0: Yeah, crazy.
1: Crazy, but had a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the difference yeah. between crazy and eccentric, by my definition. Right. But they they even called the Marquis of Waterford the Mad Marquis, like that was a bit of his moniker. And uh-huh. uh, so there was a rumor that it might be him. But the uh, the 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 um, length of time that this went on, actually, you know, so Springhill Jack was seen after the Marquis passed away. Mm-hmm. But you know the the. When I did some more research on this recently, they keep talking about this Marquis de Waterford as being pretty crazy and rambunctious, and that basically he ran around with like a little posse, you know, in modern day lingo. And they were always like out, like getting completely drunk and causing all kinds of trouble and getting in trouble either with the lady folk of the uh, aristocracy uh, aristocracy, or definitely
0: with uh, law enforcement. Yeah, but, Kev, you know, you can't— they could say they think this guy is a kook, but what was going on here was superhuman. Nobody's jumping over small houses and from rooftops down onto the street and running away. I mean, you could have a broken leg— you're, you're gonna get hurt you're not blowing out flame balls out of your mouth either
1: well so listen this is the extra story extra information that I got so two two okay. or three pieces like one is that the guy was a troublemaker and he was always out causing trouble and I'll tell you one of the stories about him causing trouble too in a minute um he was always you know chasing girls and getting in trouble with uh, women uh generally speaking. And always getting in trouble with the law. And then some of the folks that he hung out with, apparently, uh, were experts in what they called applied mechanics back then. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right. And there's discussion that he actually and his friends um, um, practiced fire spitting
0: techniques. So, so Mark, this. Uh, uh, Marquis de Waterford. Yeah. So, some yeah, of his so, friends
1: were experts in applied mechanics, his crazy friends, and then there's documentation that they practice fire spitting techniques, you know, huh. putting flammable oh, stuff that's... in their mouth, spitting it out, lighting right. it in a fire in some way and then, in uh one of the uh one of the attacks in Ashworth, um it's documented that a servant boy saw saw a w letter on um on the uh, spring Jack's chest, which oh. would be the moniker of the Marquis de Waterford.
0: Right. But, of course, it doesn't explain the ongoing stuff after his death. No,
1: no, I know. But the theory is that, like, he hung out with all of these guys and they uh-huh. were all troublemakers. So to me, it's like just because he passed away, you know, maybe some of his pals were a lot younger than him.
0: And they carried on. They the- carried
1: on. And, and it's yeah. viewed that he did this to torment the police, you know, law enforcement, whatever they called them back then. And uh, also, you know, some of the women that may have uh, not been happy with his behavior because he didn't really hurt anybody. But he went around and, you know, didn't hurt them seriously, you know, uh, but he definitely went around and tormented
0: everybody. You know, uh- I just want to say something about, do you remember the old Robin Hood movie with Errol Flynn? Yeah. All right, so you remember there would be a scene here or there where he got caught up in a castle, and everybody would be running around, and he'd evade them by leaping over a staircase and yep. swing swinging on the cords from some draperies yep. and grabbing a lamp. And, you know, he made it look uh, easy all of this acrobatics evading everybody. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to visualize even a human being uh being able though to flip themselves around on houses. Now back then I don't think they had beefy rain gutters.
1: No and uh, but, but Bill, who knows how much it really happened, like you and I are picturing them like jumping from my backyard up a two and a half story house and landing on the roof and jumping into the front yard, but maybe it wasn't quite like that, right yeah, you know you're yeah. talking yeah. it could be like thatched roof cottages, and you know i mean i'm I'm just saying I said in the beginning, I thought like this theory about the mad. Mad Marquis, I just, I liked it. Maybe it's because I'm, you know, a Batman fan, you know, and I looked at, like, this being, a, you know, Bruce an old-time Batman. Yeah, because it is, like, Bruce yeah. Wayne, right? Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Maybe maybe the Batman uh, comic strip got its idea from this. Who knows? From Spring Hill Jack. <laughs> but I just, I like it. So I also promised to tell you, like, um, how much trouble these guys and uh, the Marquis de Waterford actually caused. So it's interesting in my little bit of research, I found out that the the uh description of which you've heard, you know, going out and painting the town red. You've heard mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah, sure. That's actually tied back to him. So apparently one time he was like going through like a a gate to get into the city with all of his friends after being out drunk and didn't have the right documentation or whatever. And they like overpowered the guard And they were in the process there, you know, during the day of painting uh, the gates uh, into the city, into the location, red. And they took all of the paint and painted the guard and painted the whole area red, you know, kind of like as uh, as vandals. And uh, they say that that's where the where the term or description of painting the town red came from.
0: Now, that's interesting. That is a strange thing, because. You do wonder, like, I never thought of where Painting the Town Red come from. It it usually meant kind of going out on some type of crazy, uh, purportedly exciting night, you know, drinking and gallivanting, right? Yeah. Uh, But here you have this guy that physically and his cronies were taking red paint. Yep.
1: And and this this was a toll gate. Okay, so to enter the Thorpe and Tollgate that they came to. And uh, And how about paint painting the guard? Exactly. I mean, they're real troublemakers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They were definitely uh, out there, shall we say. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They say uh, in that event, uh, uh, a policeman tried to interfere, uh, intervene, sorry. And he was beaten up a bit and painted red as well.
0: Oh, I'm laughing, but what is it? Oh a state no, these guys this. are crazy. So
1: yeah, I mean it could be were. that I'm just saying, I'm going back, you know, most of the time we attribute this to demonic, you know, magic, right? Um right, right. and uh in this case I still come back to Spring Hill Jack, I think was like uh, an olden day uh Batman of sorts, perhaps not to insult <laughs> Batman or Bruce Wayne. He was he was fighting uh evil. <laughs> Um, you know, the Marquis de Waterford might have just been causing some trouble, you know, for sure.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm visualizing uh Batman and Robin climbing up the side of a building with their having thrown their batarangs and you know how they just grabbed that little flimsy rope. Oh yeah. And, and then the camera would show them, you know, just climbing up the side of the building with like their it was feet on, With their feet on the wall, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then some lady with curlers in her hair would open a window and say, Hi, Batman.
1: Hey, Batman. How you doing? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he, he'd he say, you know, like, we're just out fighting crime, citizen. We're making the world a safer
1: place, citizen. Please <laughs> go back to whatever you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> so then they climb up the building and picture spring Hill Jack standing up there with some kind of mechanical springs on his feet, you know, and uh, a face like the Joker, right, I'm sure, and a big cape on and a little helmet with red lights inside of it or whatever, something glowing red. Of course, they didn't have uh, uh, lights back in helmets back then. But yeah. Who knows? Some kind of chemical thing going on and uh, uh, cackling at Batman. And what would Robin say? Holy spring and shock absorbers, Batman! <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're absolutely right, Robin.
1: <laughs> so, Bill, that's what we have in cryptids and double underline other oddities in the news yeah. this week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That is definitely an oddity for all time. Yeah, and by the Scream. way, folks, next
1: time around, we, uh, there, there have been some new sightings of Mothman around Chicago, and it's very likely in our next podcast we're going to be covering some of these uh, additional sightings and perhaps uh, rumors of a cover-up on Mothman sightings as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I look forward to that because you're right, Kev. There's been a lot going on around Chicago. And, you know, the first time I heard uh, uh, of Springheel Jack was a long time ago uh, through the lips of a guy named Lionel Fanthorpe, uh, an old-time—I uh, uh, think he's a Brit, uh, British storyteller— And I was like, wow, what a crazy, unusual story. Very cool. And he had a a lot of old stories he would tell from that region. Uh, uh, And he was very good at it, you know, presenting it in a way where you'd be like, "Uh, wow, that was pretty good, Lionel. That was really good, (laughs) you know. Uh, I don't know what happened to that guy. I haven't heard him in a long time. He could have been old. I have no idea how old the fellow was when I first started hearing him. So I, I don't know. Cool. But, so, uh yeah, what do
1: you got for us this
0: week, Bill? Well, I've got a couple of—I'll call—the first one is very short. I think we'll do the second one, too. Uh, this account is purportedly a factual excerpt from a diary of a woman named Mary Skelton. Now, this goes back into the uh, 1800s. Uh, It was from a diary that she kept while heading west uh, in the formation of the early days of our nation. So it's a snippet. Uh, I'm going to tell you what was contained in this snippet. And then, of course, it's up to conjecture what exactly this was. But the description is going to make you think, as I do, Bigfoot. We had been on the trail for many days now by my own accounting, 59. The men deemed it necessary to rest our animals and hunt for a spell. Not that we, uh, now that we have found a seemingly suitable location for both of our needs, which is to rest and hunt, settled, settling on good water, grass, and ample timber to find their mark. Last evening... We were all settled down for a night's rest. Many of the gentlemen stood watch by the fire while the women and children slept. At the rear was our chuck wagon, which contained our provisions. Since the men had had good success over the past two days, they were smoking the meat from the previous day's kills while we slept. We hoped that this would be able to sustain us until our journey's end. Some kind of commotion erupted during the night, awakening the entirety of the camp. Knowing that the members of our troop were all accounted for and resting easy, the men were surprised by sudden rocking emanating from the chuck wagon as well as a large crash. As several of our bravest and stoutest men approached the wagon's rear, a beast of the most hideous appearance and immense proportions leaped upon them from within the wagon, striking one of the men with a fierce blow. It then screamed with such a devilish sound that it sounded almost as a banshee. The remaining men set loose with their arms—I believe she was talking about guns—prevailing upon the beast and killing it. Since we had all been awakened by the ruckus, the entire troop stood gazing at the beast that had been laid to waste under the starlit sky. It was covered in fur from head to toe, having the appearance of being a man-beast. It was taller in stature than any man in our group, and wider than an ox when laying down to rest. The hands and feet were several times that of our own in size. The mouth was agape, and as we viewed the beast's teeth, we could see that they were broad and somewhat yellowed, well-worn from apparent age and reason of wear. None would think of making a feast of the creature, although the meat was substantial indeed, not knowing from where it came or being unfamiliar with the breed, we deemed, it, we deemed so to bury the creature where it had come to rest, which was no small feat in and of itself, since it was so massive in size." That's a very strange kind of thing, Kev, isn't it? Yeah, I was just about to say. So they didn't really talk about how big it is, but they're
1: talking about it being massive in size. So that's right. That's good enough.
0: <laughs> larger, larger than anyone in the group. Right. And uh, in breadth, or whatever you want to call it, larger than an ox laying down, like on its side to rest or something. Yeah, that's a large beast. It's just some type of big, funky thing, and it. It dove out at them uh sl- smacked or slammed one of the guys and then uh i, I would imagine they shot the thing to death because it's it says the word arms i think she's talking about yeah you weapons know, guns or pistols or something yeah. you know weapons
1: yeah and it, it must have been up in the wagon right maybe maybe uh looking for some food or something like that s- s-
0: snuck over there snooping around and Crash, boom, bang, it must have knocked something over. They saw the wagon rocking around, and uh, then the crash, and they went over like, what the hell is this? I'm sure they already had their guns drawn. Right. Uh, at that point. And, Absolutely. Uh, what a crazy thing, though. You know, larger than any man, uh, and they just kind of buried this thing right where it had dropped.
1: Pretty wild stuff, Bill.
0: Yeah. And uh, this second story or account uh, came from up Manitoba way. Uh, Again, very interesting indeed. This evidential account was brought to my attention by a woman named Ashley Levesque. Uh, This is her testimony regarding that which she and her girlfriend saw in the woods of Manitoba. She says, I'm a freelance software engineer. Firms hire me as needed for periods that range from weeks to months to years, depending on what the work entails. Because of this somewhat makeshift lifestyle, I'm afforded a fair amount of time, which I generally use for exercise and adventure. Cross country skiing and hiking are the two things I enjoy the most. However, I generally do not go far from home to do either of these my home being a small chalet-type construct on a plot of land abutting a protected wilderness. I don't remember how much land lies behind me, but it is enormous. So I typically hike and ski there. You couldn't ask for a better location, and in all the years I've been living there, I have not so much, ha- not so much as once Run into another human being in the woods. In the winter of 2008, my best friend and I broke out the skis for some exercise. We never clock our distance or map our paths. The enormous amount of untouched land affords us a plethora of trails to follow, spanning out in any number of directions, and when the snow has fallen, the potential for pathways is virtually endless. Generally, we go as far as we feel we can and save enough juice for the return home trip. Typically, I would say we could travel between 15 and 20 miles in a single outing. Wow. On this day, we were skiing on pure virgin snow. And if you were to look around, the only visible marks upon it was some small animal tracks here and there, having gotten 10 inches of the white stuff overnight, and the temperature was about 25 degrees Fahrenheit. Fairly deep into our outbound ski, we came upon a debris field, quickly realizing that what we were looking at was the strewn-about remnants of a rotten tree's interior. We could see the rotten wood and chips extending about 20 feet or so away from the tree, and it was clear that this destruction had happened this very morning because there wasn't so much as a flake of snow covering the debris, with the snow having stopped falling around four in the morning. We could clearly see the entire area in front of the tree was completely matted down, indicative, in, indicative that something must have stood in front of this decayed tree for some time, tearing apart its interior. We also noticed a straight line of gigantic footprints both coming to and moving away from the tree, fresh and similar in shape to those of a human. As we crouched down to examine them, we could clearly see toes, slightly splayed apart. Additionally, the big toe was somewhat angled inward, unlike a human's. It was so perfectly imprinted in the snow that it almost looked like it had been cast with many of the prints still having snow raised up between the individual toes. I snapped out of my skis, standing next to a print in order to size it up against my own. The footprint was approximately 12 inches longer than my ski boot, which would make its length around 24 inches. Its width behind the toes was about twice the size of mine, making that around 10 inches though it could have been a bit more between the snow that had fallen overnight and that which had already been on the ground there was about a foot of snow in total snow the snow was completely compressed within the print being pressed all the way down to the pine needles whatever this thing had this, whatever this thing was had incredible bulk even with my boots on and jumping and stomping down into the snow. I couldn't come close to the degree of compression this thing had created while just apparently walking. There was no melt in the prints, and very little snow had collapsed within them. They were very, very fresh, and because there was no wind that day, there was also no freshly blown snow covering their prints either. They were as perfect as perfect could be. The stride length of this creature, whatever it may have been, was incredibly long. We laid one of the skis in front of the toes on one print, and even though my ski was about seven feet long, it came up short of the next print by almost two feet. That made these steps almost nine feet long from toe to toe. We decided to put our skis back on and try to follow the return trail for a while. It paralleled the entry trail for a mile or so before beginning to veer east into the deeper forest, which leads into some heavily timbered uh, areas. After about two miles or so, we ran across another tree that had been torn open. This one nothing like the first, as it appeared that this thing had approached another tree thinking that it was more rotten than it actually was. After it had dug into the bark about an inch or two, it most likely found the tree to be still fairly solid at its core. It was apparent to both of us that this thing, whatever it was, had been walking through the timber and sampling decayed trees as the trail then continued outbound into the forest. With no end in sight, we didn't want to follow any further. Besides, whatever had left these tracks walking with a nine-foot stride, we weren't looking forward to greeting it in these woods. Now, I had heard of Bigfoot and seen some footage. I had also seen the footprints that supposedly belonged to the abominable snowman in the Himalayas. They went in a straight line across a mountain slope in the middle of nowhere. This beast must have been casually sauntering around the timber trying to scrounge up some food. And I'm sure they have a number of things to survive on. Maybe whatever's in those decayed trees is just another one of many things that it eats. This experience has not prevented me from going into these woods, with many winters having passed since this occurred. And to this day, I have never seen another set of prints. Kind of interesting, Kevin. Huh? That's cool. I mean, I I love anything
1: uh, with the cross country skiers up in the snow in uh, in Canada. You know, such a such a great place to spot
0: the hairy man. <laughs> I mean, you know, and uh, from many accounts, uh, these critters seem to be a little larger up in Canada. I don't know what that's all about. It may be a a breed. Of the same creature that's just a little bit larger up there, but a, a nine foot stride. She—that's like. What the heck does that relate to in height? Yeah, I don't yeah. know
1: the math on that one.
0: Yeah, but I'm thinking, I'm I'm thinking in my mind ten plus feet.
1: Yeah, well, and probably I've, running along too, you know. So with all that power, yeah,
0: that yeah, we hear in some of knows. these accounts. But uh, very interesting, uh, and again, talk about pristine forest. She's lived there for X amount of years and never saw another human being. Yeah, so not I mean, hard, that's, not hard
1: to believe up there. And uh, yeah, great, great account, Bill, and great combo. 1800s with settlers in the U.S. moving across the country, running into uh, what looks like a giant hairy man, and then going to cross country skiing in the early 2000s up to uh frozen tundra canada
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you know when i told you my buddy rick uh, had told me about his encounter with the sighting up encounter uh, up up in canada alberta uh you know uh i believe that guy sure you know Why not? he was a spot on a uh, righteous kind of guy. And uh, I have no reason to doubt the things that he said to me. And that's why he shared them with me. Cause I guess he figured he could uh, not looking for anything, no pride, no glory, just this is how it is, man. <laughs> yeah, <Yep. laughs> you know? This is how it is. Whether you believe it or not, you know, no doubt about it. Yeah. So I have, I have no gripe with anybody, and there's all kinds of people out there nitpicking at this and that, and that's fine, but it's just not who I am. So uh, if you've seen something, say something, folks. Reach out to us on our contact uh, link, bigfootterrorinthewoods.com. Let me know what you've seen, and uh, I talk to a lot of people, call them up, have conversations. I've developed some friendships. And I'm always glad to hear what you've heard. I'm particularly perplexed, though, Kev, about one thing. A lot of people that come to me and say things, uh, some of which you've read on the air, I've tried to reach out to them. They never call me. They yeah. never get back to me. And I, I don't understand what Well, I what think that's sending an
1: email and calling on the phone are two different things, Bill. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, so, it's no problem. And they might be super busy.
0: Yeah. I mean... yeah, yeah No, you're right. You're right. And they maybe they prefer the discretion of just using an email and leaving it at that. Yeah, and
1: don't or don't have the time to do the whole phone thing, you know.
0: Yeah. I yeah. know it's really so hard or, for
1: me to get on the phone compared to sending an email
0: or a or a text. So or or maybe they're spring heel jack in the evening and just don't have time. Ooh, that's another theory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> boing boing <laughs> boing. <laughs> <laughs> All well, right. Well, uh, speaking of contacting us at Bigfoot, uh, in the woods. com, let's move over to some listener mail because we got some good ones uh, this week. And uh, the first one comes from our buddy Chris from, as he spells it, Missouri. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs>
1: and he says, hey, KJ, this happened a few days ago. And uh, he, he puts a link in uh, of this story that I hinted at at the beginning of uh, – uh, some more significant Mothman sightings at O'Hare Airport. And I'm definitely going to uh, cover that, Chris. I went and looked at it again. Of course, I've done stories, multiple stories on Mothman, both the classic from uh, West Virginia and then uh the modern day so to speak of all of these encounters around O'Hare. But this story you sent over, thank you so much. It's fantastic. And Chris also writes, I'll be looking all around next time I fly through O'Hare Airport. That's for sure. And me too, Chris. <laughs> I was just on a plane this week out in Denver, but I didn't I didn't fly through O'Hare, but maybe next time I'll revector just to go through there to look for the Mothman.
0: Hey, you know, Kev, uh, while we're on the subject of O'Hare, maybe put it on your uh, list of hit parades, your hit parade list. S- see what you can dig up about that sighting of the giant UFO uh, apparently landing at O'Hare uh, a number of years back.
1: Yeah, that's that triangular craft.
0: Uh, you know, at the time, I was caught up in a lot of different things, and... Uh, I I didn't really get to follow up at it in that moment. I I don't know what was going on in life and whatnot.
1: There's a big triangular one that they've seen around O'Hare and around the Midwest, too. So, yeah, I'll definitely, I got that on the list. And then Chris ends by saying, P.S., very importantly here, praying for Bill's wife. God bless. So thank you,
0: Chris. Amen. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that. And appreciate your input. Uh, Very interesting indeed. Yeah, I looked at that clip that Chris sent over and that was just one of the latest of witnesses that have seen something. And in that circumstance, it seems that they were trying to be suppressed by the powers that be. Yes, absolutely. So pretty interesting. We'll uh, we'll definitely
1: we'll definitely cover it. And then speaking of UFOs, Bill, we got mm -hmm. some input from Neil from the U.K., And uh, he says, hi, I know you don't deal with UFOs that often, but there's a case of a young boy's encounter with alien beings in Gateshead Tyne uh, in the northeast of England, where with one of the aliens looking more like a Bigfoot than an alien.
0: Well, there you go. Doesn't surprise me. I know we have accounts like that.
1: And the video is called The Gateshead Gray, and it's on YouTube. The person speaking on the video is the young boy who had the encounter. Now he's actually in his 70s, so pretty interesting. Wow. Um, So the video was probably made about 10 years ago on YouTube. It doesn't get the attention it deserves, as I think it's probably one of the best cases of an alien encounter in the UK. Please, could you and your brother give it a Give it some attention uh, that I think it deserves. And and also, uh, we give you a thumbs up as the best podcast out there. So thank you, Neil. We will definitely look into that. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And, you know, here we go, Kev, a guy 70 years old now, kind of coming out of the closet a little bit. Maybe he's learning a little bit about the electronic media and just kind of getting it off his chest a little bit, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, everybody comes around at some point in their life where they just start to talk a little bit about things maybe they never talked about. 100%.
1: Uh,
0: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll check into that. And Thanks for uh, chiming in with us. Again, you know, UFO, Bigfoot. It's not all of the encounters, but it's definitely a piece of them where this is going on. What's going on? have no idea. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we uh, report on it. We represent it. And by the way, folks, I have my new book coming out, UFO Sightings and Encounters, Volume 1. Uh-huh. Uh That's in the works. I, I hope sooner than later. It's done. Uh, the cover is done. The interior is done. All of the copyright is done. Uh I'm just waiting for it to be uh kind of uh finalized in like assembly and then of course to put up on uh on Amazon. And of course I'll tell everybody when that happens. It just hasn't happened yet. Very cool. Yeah. All right. And now
1: we have a note coming in, and this one's a good, good set of questions for you, Bill, from Joanna. Joanna doesn't say where she is, uh, but it's, the subject is question about red eye. So this is that uh, episode I did about red eye in New Jersey. So she says, hello, yep. I'm a big fan of your podcast, and I'm almost finished with your fourth book and counting. As I'm listening to the red eye encounter, I am confused. Excuse me. They are all Bigfoot encounters, right? I mean, a huge chunk of Bigfoot encounters describe red glowing eyes. So what makes the New Jersey red eye different? Do they just want to be different than the rest of the country so they can come up with their own name for Bigfoot? Maybe one of your fans from New Jersey can shed some light on this. Thanks for making me laugh, Joanna.
0: (laughs) What do you think of that, Kev? I read that and I... I was kind of betwixt and between with reading it, and, and, and I sat back and I was like, huh? <laughs> you well, know, no, like, I think what,
1: sometimes, what, you know, people see stuff in different places, and it comes up, as, you know, with a legend and a name associated with the legend. And, uh, you know, my own thing is... Maybe they just didn't think of it as a Bigfoot when they saw it. They thought it was something else. And, you know, when, now when you hear all the accounts, especially on a Bigfoot podcast, it's very easy to say, well, that's that's another Bigfoot. And perhaps it is. But I think, right. you know, sometimes people see this stuff and they don't know what a Bigfoot is. I know that's hard to believe, but could be. Right. right?
0: Yeah. They they had no knowledge of the large feed and possibly that it had been named before somewhere else. Of course, the old Indian names like Sasquatch and yep. uh, people over here on the East Coast 150 years ago had no idea of that name, had never heard it. Right, like so the old they uh,
1: it- Teddy Roosevelt uh, story that he wrote about, and they called it a goblin, you know, back yep. in the 1800s, which was, I imagine was just a name for some creepy thing that you didn't understand.
0: Yeah, and was trying to rip your head off.
1: And Joanna, I still can't figure out why these folks in New Jersey call it red eye and not red eyes. I mean, how about that? (laughs) 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 But let's hear from somebody around New Jersey that knows about red eye. You know, two questions. Is it a Bigfoot, do you think? And then the second question, why the heck do you call it red eye and not red eyes? Or do you don't understand that question? And then I'll understand. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what if it only had one eye and the other one got pep- poked out? <laughs>
1: it's a pirate. It's a pirate, Bigfoot. Hey,
0: hey. <laughs>
1: All right, Bill. And our last email comes in from Lori from Maryland. And she says, good morning. I've become a big fan of your podcast. I started listening last spring, and I enjoy every episode. I've gotten my husband hooked, too. We love the intro. It's a freaking Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> I bought my husband Volume 3 for Christmas. I couldn't find one in two on Amazon. We have also added two Bigfoot shot glasses to our collection. Our son goes to Penn State. And on our drives to and from Maryland, we take a more scenic route. Every trip, my husband says, it's a good day to see a Bigfoot. (laughs) Just wanted to tell you how much we enjoy the show. You've made a believer of me. Happy New Year, Lori.
0: Interesting. Well, Happy New Year, Lori. I I hear this from a lot of people. uh, Sometimes the second time through, After I tell them, well, I just did the search and it's right there uh, in reference to finding the books. But Amazon's a little weird. They got sometimes I queue up the name of the book and a few of them show up together, but not all of them. Uh, But they're all there. And the best thing I can tell you is to specifically type in Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings Encounters Volume 2. You know, the same thing, and it will bring you directly to that book. I don't know how they operate uh, and why it is what it is, but I assure you everything is there, and everything is there in audio format at Audible and even on Amazon because Amazon and Audible are joined at the hip. Uh, Everything is there. There's nothing missing, so just do a little uh, diligence and... Be specific, and you'll find what you're looking for. Awesome. Well,
1: that's a great episode this week, Bill. Uh, nice job on those two accounts. And keep an eye out for spring Jack. And those hmm. of you uh, in the southeastern United States, of course, it'll be in the rearview mirror after you uh, after you uh, listen to this podcast. But be careful in that snow and ice storm.
0: Hope everything went
1: okay, so to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you always got to be careful in this winter weather. You don't get injured. Uh, you don't do anything stupid. And remember, your cars don't behave the same when you're out in the road. So, and, and most importantly, don't run out of bread and milk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go out and buy nine loaves and six gallons now. But it's just the two of us, W.J. All right, buy four gallons and five loaves. And And... A double pack of eggs. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get that whole thing. Yeah, right? Who knows?
1: I was in the store last night, uh, not not because the snowstorm's coming, and uh, and I looked. I was walking by, and the shelf had no bread on it. I was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's gonna snow on Sunday."
0: Yeah, it's just unbelievable. That's how I
1: tell the weather. I look and see if there's bread and milk.
0: Yeah. I mean, I only buy a loaf or two of bread when I'm running out and I never change.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I only have so much around that I'm going to use. One is usually frozen, one is open. If I want to have a little toast, a little, da 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 da. And then I take the frozen one out. And when that one's just about gone, I go buy another loaf or two. Yeah. It's down below. Yeah, don't forget to buy 40 rolls of toilet paper. And 40 rolls of paper towels while you're out there buying your six loaves of bread. (laughs) (laughs) That's unreal. Well, folks, great episode. And if you should find yourself snow skiing in Manitoba, or anywhere else for that matter, I would advise one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.